Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the afternoon here on Ausbiz Live from our Barangaroo studios. Great to have your company as we delve into the call. Uh, Ten stocks. Picked by you, I put those stocks to our two experts and we get their view all in the space of one hour. It's fast, it's furious, it's informative and particularly with this panel today, I never disappoint. Michael Wang from Medallion Financial. Michael, good to see you. Thanks, Koshi. And his compatriot in arms. Mm. Often they take each other on. Carl Capolinga from Think Markets. How are you, Carl, from the West? Yeah, very well. Thanks, Koshi. Um, fast and furious at the moment, isn't it, with this earnings season? Oh, um, so huge. Just, we're quite happy when it's all over. Yeah, yeah. And um, it, it gets to the peak next week as well. So yeah. it's not going to slow down anytime soon. Hey, let's uh, get into the stocks that we're going to be looking at this half hour. Uh, Charter Hall Retail REIT, Homeco Daily Needs REIT. So we're kicking off with two REITs, which getting a lot of viewers sending in um, these stocks for adjudication, largely, I think, because they're at such a massive discounts. Uh, does that make them attractive? We'll find out. Uh, Deterra Royalties uh, is on the list this half hour in New Zealand as well. And uh, ARB Corporation, the uh, the company where you want to go and pimp your ride. Um, our stock of the day, so we take a look at Endeavour Group. Uh, shares under some pressure in today's trade after reporting full year profit after tax 529 million missing market consensus, but up around 7% on the year. Group sales were also higher, 2.5%. Uh, to just under 12 billion group earnings before interest and tax rose 11 percent. Uh, board announced fully frank dividends, 75 cents a share. That's down from the previous 77 cents. Um, Carl, Endeavour was always seen as one of those stable stocks during an economic downturn, a defensive stock. They report today the market's taken a bit of a cane to them. What did you think of the update in the share price at the moment? Yeah, look, you make a really good point there about Endeavour being defensive. And I think there's always been this sort of premium built in since COVID for that uh, defensivity. I've just yeah. made up a new word there, COVID, uh, <laughs> David. Uh, Koshi. So um, the, 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 where it all changed for me for Endeavour, and this is one, I'm just looking at the chart here. Uh, we've got the chart up on screen, but that chart's not going back far enough to August last year where they had that big profit downgrade. Right. Um, and, and it was just sort of chugging, chugging, chugging away. And I, I, I had longs on this. I was tweeting it. I had clients in this. And then out of the blue, uh, maybe you can see it there. There we go. Yeah. So you can see the big peak there. Big profit downgrade fell from 840 to 730 in a flash. Uh, and that it's a big black candle and a big gap. And that's where I 
basically have to tell anybody who follows me, okay, we're, we're, we're on the way out the door now. It might not be today, right. but we are working our way out of this. And honestly, it has not seen uh, barely an uptick since then. It just goes to show once you disappoint the market, once you lose the faith of the market, just how hard it is to get it back. And I think we've just seen, as you say, that premium be eroded. So it was trading not that long ago. It was trading sort of uh, mid-20s uh, on its PE. And that's come down to 18, which is still expensive. It's still expensive for this type of company, which is going to deliver us all of about 4% compound annual growth over the next three financial years. So so, you know, your typical ASX stocks, well, I'm just going the average here, it's going to give you sort of, you know, 7 8% growth, and it's going to have an, a PE of around 15. So getting less than the market's uh, growth for more than the market's PE, and that PE continues to contract. Um, some might say, oh, I'd like it for the dividend yield. Well, the dividend yield is about 3.8%. It's not awful, but now below 12-month term, term deposit rates. Plus, you've got that awful, awful chart, short-term downtrend, long-term downtrend. I just can't find a reason to own it right now. So if I can't find a reason to own it, I must go sell. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll tell you what, Michael, after they woolly split it out, this was a darling of the market yeah. for so long, wasn't it? They said it would shoot the lights out. This is the new sort of Bunnings, Wes Farmers type yeah. category they put in because they have Dan Murphy, they have BWS in it, hotels, poker machines, the whole lot. Yeah, so they're basically the third largest gaming operator in the country behind Crown and Star. They've got over 12,000 poker machines. I didn't realise that. It yeah, was that so many. I knew they had pokies, but the third biggest, wow. And I think 300 different venues. And that's right. one part of their business. And that was struggling during COVID. Um, then you obviously had the, the retailing liquor businesses, um, BWS, Dan Murphy's, which was performing very well. Yep. You've had these sort of businesses start to oscillate as things normalise, uh, back to whatever normal is. Um, so it's very difficult for the market to gauge where everything's going to to basically stabilize in terms of the liquor business, which actually saw a slight decline um, in revenues. Um, then you also had the big pickup in their entertainment side of things, which is the, the pubs and the poker machines. Yep. So look, business is still And a couple of state governments really putting restrictions on the pokies too, And this is they? the problem across a number of jurisdictions. I think Victoria has yeah. been first cab off the rank. Yep. New South Wales have been discussing things, Tasmania as well. So right. that is, I think, part of the re-rating that's going on because, you know, a 20% drop in gaming revenue for them would have a fairly significant hit to their earnings. I think yep. some people are estimating 20 to 30%, oh, wow. even more. So that's something that I think the market's just been digesting as well in recent times. It's Look, it's hard because the liquor business is a very mature business. Um, Obviously, yes, a lot of the population do drink and, and go to bottle shops, et cetera, but it only really grows at the rate of population growth. Right. And that's probably why, as Carl touches upon, the earnings growth of this business is around yeah, 4% per year. So it's nothing too exciting um, and the valuation is nothing too compelling either. They've had a couple of like, bad updates recently, missing consensus over the last six, 12 months. So probably um, best to give this one a wide berth for now. Uh, and you have to maybe focus in on it once it starts to bottom out. So if you're in it, sell it as well. I would Carl. sell it. There's probably yeah. better opportunities at the moment, um, in our opinion. Okay, Carl quite rightly talked about disappointing the market, big reputation. How long does it take to get that confidence back in the market? Sort of, if you're an investor that you've had a, okay, CSL is a classic yeah. example. One downgrade, 
And the theory is you never buy in a downgrade cycle. Then they reported well, they bounced back up. Is that just a quality outlier stock that what's what's the no, norm in terms of getting I think once you start to see the commentary for management improve and maybe start to exceed expectations again that's normally right. a good opportunity we think right. to start at least looking at it again you saw a similar thing with megaport megaport almost had three or four poor yep. updates in a row all of a sudden they've had two good ones in a row and the share price has gone back from we went from twenty dollars down to like four dollars five dollars yep. now it's back above ten right so I think if you can clearly see there's been a shift in the momentum of the business and the commentary coming from management, that's often a good opportunity yeah. to jump in. And, and Carl, you would see then that reflected in your volumes and your candles and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. But even better, Koshi, you're going to see it reflected before that result comes out. And this is the beauty. Uh, if I can summarise the beauty of technical analysis, it is this. Because when that that a surprise beat is coming after that huge earnings downgrade cycle and the price has been beaten down, the fund managers know that things are improving. improving. They talk Carl, to me. They talk to you, Whoa, 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 whoa. That's meant to be all secret, isn't it? And they, they, continuous they, disclosure to the total market. What are you saying? But a lot of it's a lot of it's above board. They'll have analyst <laughs> meetings, analyst presentations that we're not invited to. But hey, right. you know, the the, the, the the team at Macquarie Bank, they're invited, or they'll go to a site visit at the company's operations. And I'm generalizing here, but I tell you what, Koshi, the fund managers know that upgrade's coming and it changes the demand supply dynamics mm. in the market. It, it, fund, fund managers who own the stock, they stop selling it. And yeah. fund managers who have cash to apply, they start buying it. D- demand grade and supply, price turns up. I've seen it so many times in the last six months, particularly, uh, well, I know this is so off topic, but all of those retail companies, Koshi, the retailers and a lot of the big um, technology platform providers, your REAs, your car sales, your domain groups, uh, Seek, I know that had a little bit of a miss, but they all of those charts started turning up. Uh, and I'm not going to toot my own horn here, Koshi, but I caught clients. I got my followers into a lot of those turnarounds before they happened. Nick, Scarly, um, you know, mm. it, it, so many okay. of them. And you will see it. It is the fingerprints right. are all over these things before that upgrade okay. cycle begins. Interesting. All right. Let's get into the first stock that uh, you've asked me to put to our panel. Um, Ira, Michael, wants a view on Charter Hall Retail, Reit Charter Hall a great property fund manager. They have lots of different um, channels and different funds uh, specialising in property. This one is in retail. Yeah, so this is retail focused with core sort of anchor tenants of Woolworths and Coles. Yep. Um, so it's very much aligned to the the supermarkets. Uh, it pays about a five and a half percent distribution. They've got you know nice long term leases and strong um, what they call the whale the weighted average lease expiry so it's a pretty safe um, business in that they're going to have long-term high quality tenants the question becomes you know a big focus around interest rates um, and financing costs and we're starting to see financing costs move higher um, particularly for a lot of these real estate investment trusts which then erodes and eats into earnings so if look for a business like this it's not the most exciting thing in the world. You look over the, at the book value, it's gone up about 39% over 10 years or maybe nine years. So you're not getting huge capital growth and the dividends, they're pretty steady. Just that's because the, the rental income's been pretty steady mm-hmm. as well. So what we've Have been- Have they devalued any of their properties? Oh, very slightly. Business? I think right. from reading, they might've devalued their book by about 
yeah, three to five percent or no. something like okay. that. So it's, it's look still material, but the problem is when you've got financing costs going up, interest mm-hmm. rates going up, it's going to erode your income. And if you're not getting the rental growth through, your your distributions aren't going to grow. And many of these companies are based valued off distributions. And if your distribution rate is less attractive to the cash rate, then the share price will come under right. pressure. And that's what you've been seeing with this particular one. Um, so look, my my sort of position on this would be to sell. Yep. Um, there are probably better REITs out there for a recovery. And we'll probably touch on some of those maybe later right. in the show. But look, the whole general sentiment towards REITs is very negative. You are starting to get pockets of the market turning optimistic and trying to be contrarian and try and pick up some of these REITs after they've been beaten up, kind of predicting that interest rates will peak and eventually you know, come down slightly at least. Um, we think it's probably a little bit premature on yeah. that front. Well, the Reserve Bank thinks that as well from yesterday's board minutes. Yeah. Is that so? Basically saying, you know, probably not much more, if anything, to go on rising rates, but they're going to stay this height for a while. And that's the thing. I think when you've got such low unemployment and the consumer's in such a strong position, if they drop interest rates too far too quickly, yeah. you're just going to see inflation pick up again. So, yeah, yeah. good point. Um, Carl, what do you reckon of Charter Hall's retail rate? Uh, can we put the chart back up yeah. for a second? <laughs> well, it looks ugly. Do you want the one year yeah, or the I five mean, year? Uh, it doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, it's irrelevant. Do you really want me to tell you all the reasons why I don't like it? <laughs> or can I just, just point to that? I mean, yeah. it's making a new rate today, reported yesterday. Uh, but just thematically, I know we've got a few REITs in today. And, hey, I watch the call every day, Koshi. Mm. For better, for better or worse, but um, the oh, for I know. I've, I've, <laughs> for better, what do you mean for worse? Boys, well, it just depends. It depends on who's on. Depends on who's on. Um, <laughs> all right, three thousand kilometres away. Uh, now, what I was about to say is, look, just thematically, what viewers need to understand is that rates kill rates. It is. It's the oldest rule in the book of investing 101 that higher rates kill rates. Um, and until the rate situation turns around, and not just a couple of uh, you know, 25 basis point cuts, but some serious movement down in uh, those particularly longer term yields over the last couple of weeks have absolutely spiked. And you would see some of these charts spiking down each time those long term yields, particularly in the US, rise. So this is the problem with REITs and my I've just got a blanket sell on them. I've had a blanket sell on them. You can see from for about a year. And each time I come on the show to discuss REITs, I, I just point viewers in the direction of term deposits yeah. because I, I guess people are asking about them because they are starting to look like they've got really good yields, um, but the, the valuations have to come down on the asset side of things uh, right. to, to, to match what's going on. So you're going to lose on the capital, might make a few percent on your dividend, but you're going to lose that on the capital. Yeah. Term deposit, right to sleep at night. I just parked a bunch of cash, Koshi, my my my. Uh, my under the mattress cash with a particular financial uh, Australian financial institution, not the big four, let you guess who it is, a teaser rate, first four months, 5.55%, it's at call. Right. Okay, I mean, yeah, it's a bit of a no-brainer. And when that interest rate outlook starts to turn, then you can start to look at rates, okay. but not until then. All right. Uh, Sarah wants to know, is the HomeCo daily needs rate any different? <laughs> now, the HomeCo or the, the, health, the HealthCo rate came up yesterday with with um, with Rudy and uh, Mark Gardner. Um, Rudy quite liked um, the health co one, but prefers the daily needs rate for the long term. 
Look, we're, di we're so different, Rudy and I. And Rudy and I, uh, we follow each other on Twitter. We'll have a little bit of a, a, a crossfire battle every now and then. I have noticed that. It's quite entertaining. But it's we really totally... Good. We're totally on record as totally respecting each yes, other's uh, view and approach, but we're so different. Rudy is so long-term. I'm much shorter term. I'm all about momentum. Yeah. And the momentum, as I said, in REITs just isn't there yet. I don't hate REITs. Some people, I've been, I've copped a lot of flack last couple of weeks, Koshi, for, for calling certain lithium stocks, uh, quote unquote, piles of junk, because that's what the trends are. Yeah. And people think I hate these stocks. I don't hate these stocks. I don't hate lithium. I don't hate REITs. I'm completely agnostic. I just follow trends. People have to yeah. understand that about me. And the trends right now are down, and I feel that it's going to destroy your capital uh, despite the yield you might get, and therefore I cannot be interested. But when REITs turn up, Koshi, the momentum changes, I'll be all over them. Okay. Michael, likewise? Um, so we prefer HMC, which is actually Home Consortium. That's the sort of management company fund oh, manager. Oh, okay. So it's quite interesting. It's a former UBS banker um, who's gone out, started Home Consortium, and over time has spun off these different REITs to sit below the management company. Oh, okay. And the management company has been doing very well in terms of growing the FUM because there's been raising more money, buying more assets. Um, FUM has gone up, the management costs, or the management fees, sorry, have gone up as well. Um, the particular funds, we prefer HDN over the other REIT that they've got. Right, yep. Um, but we're not overly keen on either. But HDN is quite interesting. They've got a lot of these... Um, what do you call it? It's not really specialty retailers, but more as, as it probably touches on home sort of retailers. So they went into a lot of the old masters sites yeah. um, and they'll put in a JB Hi-Fi, Coles, Woolworths, Bunnings, oh, okay. all within a complex. Um, they've done a lot of development in recent years and there's a lot more development in the pipeline. So it's a bit more of a proactive REIT than many of your typical REITs, which just have a few assets sitting there ticking over. Yeah. Um, but they've got They've got very good like floor space. They've got very good sites in high land valuation locations. So there are things to like about this REIT, but I just don't think necessarily now is the time to be jumping in. They've got very high occupancy, 99%. Um, they've also got some of the best leasing spreads in the industry, and that's effectively just what the old lease was compared to the new lease. So they're rolling people off their old leases into new leases, and the spread is actually quite high relative to many others in the industry. So there are definitely characteristics about this one that we like, but at the moment we just prefer, if you want to be in this space, the management company, which is pretty much a property fund right. manager and that's home consortium. Right. Um, this is probably a REIT to keep an eye on over time because we think it's one of the high quality ones out there. Okay. All right, uh, Michael, Sasha wants a view on Air New Zealand. Qantas has been shooting the lights out. Suppose Sasha is thinking, well, you yeah. know, do I switch out of Qantas into, into Air New Zealand? Yeah, so Air New Zealand's been on the recovery path as well. Um, the first Has it done as well as Qantas? I actually don't know. No. I, do, I think it's plateaued a lot in the right. last 12 months after initial oh, recovery. There yeah, go. there you go. Yeah. doesn't seem to be... Um, it's... I say this all the time about airlines. They're very complicated businesses, a lot of variables, um, you know, currency, energy price, competition, all those sorts of things, fleet renewal. The key metrics for Air New Zealand don't really stack up as well um, as Qantas's do. So if you look at things like, you know, um, sales per share, return on equity, things like um, operating margins, they're nowhere near as good. It is paying a high dividend yield um, and it has been on the recovery path in terms of volume and numbers coming through. But as you can see, that recent recovery has 
really paled into insignificance compared to where it was. But I think Air New Zealand's fighting slightly different battles to Qantas. I think Air New Zealand was struggling even before sort of COVID came along compared right. to the, the glory days of the early 2000s or whatever it may be. But yeah, airlines, very, very competitive space. Um, and you know, you're seeing more and more carriers try and come into Australia. You saw Qatar Airlines got knocked back. Um, in terms of increasing their route numbers, you saw Turkish Air was going to do something. Qantas has a very friendly government on mm. their side, doesn't it? That's right. So it's sort <laughs> of protecting them a little bit. And we're paying still through the nose for airfares. That's the reason why. Yeah, and I think Air New Zealand might not have the same luxury. Right. Um, okay. So look, for mine, it's not. It's a no-go. It's a sell. Yep. Uh, Carl, totally different chart to Qantas, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, very different. Uh, Qantas is still bottom left, top right. I actually haven't looked at Qantas for a little while. Let me. I know we're going off topic, but I'm sure viewers have it. Actually, the Qantas chart is starting to turn. I'm a little bit concerned about that. Oh. Uh, I wouldn't be holding a full risk position here, as in I would, be, I would have already exited some of my holding here, but I reckon holding maybe somewhere between uh, sort of a 50% of my position. And I think if it closes beneath, this is where the last final bit goes, close beneath six bucks, I think you can get out of Qantas. Uh, but we digress. Let's talk about Air New Zealand. The chart on that uh, is, is, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, it, you saw the, it's so flat. Uh, and I could, I could, this is the weird thing, I could buy this because of that consolidation. Wow. Yeah, because of that consolidation, this is not that bad. I can't buy it now. But on the next big white candle, uh, so that is a candle that opens towards its low and closes right on its high and a substantial size. And I'm going to say something like seven, eight cents. So it could be that first uh, profit upgrade that comes. You know, that big surprise announcement and boom, you see Air New Zealand's up 10% on the day. Uh, that is when I could start to buy in line with all the other things we've discussed today about when that earnings uh, upgrade cycle begins. Uh, and I would need to see it close maybe towards 80 cents. But until then, I, don't, I can't see any reason to own this as, as well. Uh, uh, but maybe I can go a hole just on the basis that it, 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 there's a possibility that could occur. Okay. All right. Uh, full stock off the uh, off the list today is um, a, a basically a company that is a bunch of accountants who cash a big check every <laughs> yeah. so often and then go to lunch. Sounds like <laughs> the perfect business to be in. Tara wants a view uh, on Deterra Royalties. Carl, they... Um, they get royalties from one of BHP's big iron ore uh, mines, don't they? Yeah, correct. I mean, that's a, quite a, a comical, but also probably accurate <laughs> summary of what happens within this business. So they have um, a 1.2% uh, royalty of the uh, BHP's mining area C, one of the big uh, Pilbara, one of the big Pilbara operations. It accounts for. Uh, I wrote this down. Quite interesting. How much of Deterra's um, uh, revenue this accounts for? It accounts for 99. 0.848% of Deterra's revenue, Koshi. So wow. <laughs> that doesn't leave a lot left for everything else they do. <laughs> um, so basically, look, it is it is an option, I guess, on BHP's success because they uh, not only do they get that royalty based upon the production level, so more tonnes produced means uh, more money to Deterra, but there's a bit of a kicker there. When BHP does, it, say, a big upgrade or a big ramp up, they get oh, off the top of my head, it was about a million dollars per additional uh, megaton that's uh, that's added. Mm. Uh, but a large part of it is still what's going on with the iron ore prices. We can talk about volumes all day, but 
the other component of that revenue is the price. So if the iron ore price comes down, uh, then uh, there is some risk of there. And I think a lot of people look at this as an alternative to a term deposit. I think that's why it's quite popular even on the call. I see it yeah. come up quite often. Um, but I'm going to say it's not as risk-free as you might think. It's certainly not as risk-free as a term deposit. And given, I think, we do have some problems in, in, in China right now, some very real problems, without any signs just yet of any meaningful um, you know, movement from the Chinese uh, government to address those issues, maybe there's some short-term weakness uh, in that iron ore price. And you know, some of those charts out there, BHP, just cracking below 45 again, isn't it? Uh, Rio Tinto, well, that's gone from 120, last time we looked at it on the show, down to 105. Uh, what's the Fortescue now? They're starting to look pretty weak there. So mm. I don't think this is as safe as some people think. And I referred you earlier on to the 5.5% right. teaser yield I'm getting uh, at Macquarie. Can I mention them? Yeah, yeah. I get a so you're, uh, <laughs> you're going term deposit instead I'll of term deposit. Yep. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, Michael? Yeah, pretty well summarised there. Um, pretty much aligned to this one single asset. It does have a very long mine life up until I think over you know, 2070. So still oh, wow. a long, long yeah. mine life to go. Really the kicker for a company like this is if BHP um, expand the mine and get further production out of it, therefore further production should in time hopefully boost your income. Price dependent, um, of course, based on the iron ore price. So that's something to consider. Doves gives you exposure to the mining space without necessarily taking on all the risks associated with the operating of the mine. I can understand why people might include something like this within a broader income portfolio. Mm. Uh, but then again, I think these days you can look and get you know different bond funds or different direct hybrids or direct corporate bonds paying you between six and, and eight, nine percent for certain sort of bond funds. So. I just don't see why you need to take on the, the equity risk because the share price has been pretty flat, um, although there is bouts of volatility. The dividend yield's been very volatile, which you won't necessarily have with many of your, your fixed income investments. But I can understand why people might include this within an income portfolio, right. giving them income, but exposure to the mining space. But it's not my type of thing. So I'm gonna, it's hard to give it a sell because I don't think it's gonna necessarily fall through the floor. But if you hold it, you'll get about six, seven percent right. distributions. Okay, all right. Fully so franked. May, maybe look for alternatives if you, if want, you want income. Yeah, but I, I, I do get people's thought <clears> process, but I'll be looking, particularly now with interest rates gone up as high as they have, yeah. and the rates you can now get on bonds, which are probably the best in the last 15, 20 years even, probably now's the time if you want income with low capital volatility, <clears> fixed income investments okay. probably offer you that opportunity. All right. Koshi, can I just add, just yeah, add sure. one thing, just, and I'll be very quick. So the yield, forecast yield for FY24 on Terra Royalties is 6.6%. This is, these are broker numbers, Thomson Reuters, not mine. Uh, but it's going to fall to 4.5% as forecast by the brokers by FY27. So again, you've got to look forward, not backwards upon yields. I think too many uh, investors yeah. go, oh, I'm getting a 7% yield or an 8% yield, but that's based upon last year's numbers yeah. and that could change. So just understand that the, these are broker consensus. There's 10 brokers covering it, the biggest and the best. They think the yield on this is going to fall over the next few okay. years. That's a really good point. All right, Michael, our fifth uh, stock is ARB. Uh, Ian wants a view. Um, the description is Australia's largest designer, manufacturer and distributor of four-wheel drive and light commercial vehicle accessories. Basically, if you want to pimp your four-wheel drive, you go to ARB and they have everything. I'd have made it work there. 
And he said, it is amazing how much people will spend, yeah. particularly during COVID, when they couldn't go overseas, to pimp their four-wheel drive. It's um, conspicuous spending. People yep. putting big rhubarb <laughs> uh, on their utes. Yeah, and yeah the big wheels and the, the canopy over the side. Tiffany of, of four-wheel yeah. drive. It's a real status <laughs> symbol to have these things. And, oh, and it's, it's amazing. They've carved, they've carved out this niche <laughs> for themselves. And... Really, they're getting a significant premium to a lot of their competitors on yeah. their products domestically. They have tried to sort of move overseas and expand their, their export business, but the issue there is they're not getting quite the same margins overseas as they are in Australia. Right. Okay. So that's just one thing to keep in mind. It's, look, it's a very good quality business. It's been around for a long period of time and had consistently very good revenue and earnings growth numbers, very high margins. Uh, but again, they are cycling. One of these businesses cycling through these COVID numbers, where they got a big, mm. enormous run up. People spending a lot of money oh, on accessories, bucks. and people were traveling domestically and things like that, uh, where they're not getting those same tailwinds at the moment. But in saying that, you know, their their revenue numbers contracted slightly, but that was sort of expected. So it's the market's really trying to look forward now and seeing what's going to happen going forward and. You, they're expecting to return to, to decent revenue growth next year, um, but it's a little bit still uncertain because we had this this big period where the data or the numbers were skewed somewhat. But look, looking at the chart there, it does seem like it's found a bit of a base. Um, I'm not sure if it's reported yet, but it's probably one to see how it does report okay. just to get a bit of an idea um, if, if that recovery phase or that more normalization yeah. phase is back in place. I'm happy to go a hold at the moment. Right. Okay. Um, Carl, they do huge business in WA. When I visit the grandkids in WA, you've got more four-wheel drives <laughs> per head of population than anywhere else. And I've got a son-in-law who's a car dealer that flogs them all. Yeah. So massive. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you say that because I was about to say, you know, Australia has a love affair with our four-wheel drives and our and our utes, and maybe it just feels that way because of where I am. But I can <laughs> I concur I concur with your sentiments there, Goshi. Absolutely. Um, now they do report on the twenty-second of August, so that's Tuesday next oh, week. Okay. I think it's going to be really interesting because, as you saw in the in the, in the price chart there, they have been beaten down. But as Michael correctly noted, we are seeing that little base, and I reckon we've got some uh, front running of this result by the fund managers. Mm. Yeah, they're predicting they're predicting a good result. I don't know how good it's going to be because the front running is not advanced to some of the other ones I've been following. I mentioned them earlier, uh, but I think it could be a good result. I, came, I was on Friday actually uh, in my Friday segment, and I tipped this as the super specy buy for this uh, earning season. I know I'm putting myself on the line, but hey, that's what I do for a living. So hopefully it turns out well for people. Uh, but here are some of the good things that are going on here. So July, did you know that July we saw record sales uh, for motor vehicles and record deliveries? Well, sorry, not record deliveries, deliveries high since 2018. Yeah. So, uh, so I should it, maybe it wasn't a record. It's up fourteen point seven percent. But anyway, uh, highest outcome for July on record. No, it was a record. There you go. My notes notes are correct. And the highest delivery since two thousand eighteen. So what's happened is we haven't been able to get the vehicles on the ground, but they are here. They are arriving. And guess what? They need Koshi. Guess what? Your your all your big four wheel drives. Guess what they need? They need all your pimp ups. Right. Yep. So we are about we are about to go into I think a very very productive mm. time. ARB uh, range of sales up 16% in, in that data. Hilux up 15%. DMAX up 21%. 
all highlights of that. So we're going to get a bump, but then the question comes, and this is where the risk is, longer term, outside of that bump, what is that discretionary spend? What is going to be the impact of higher rates? So if you believe, hey, economy is going to be uh, okay, we're going to muddle through, probably okay. If you think the economy is going to fall in the toilet, probably not okay. But that's looking way too far ahead for me. And I've done way too much fundamental analysis on this already. Let me just finally by, finalize by saying, look, the valuation is not bad. 10% compound annual growth rate for the next three FYs. Uh, at a PE, uh, forward PE of 24, which sounds high, but I don't think it's that high for that growth. And it's not high relative to, to the five-year range. Okay, I think it's pretty reasonable. My uh, price target, 33.83, which allows about 4% upside. The brokers, by the way, are about 30 bucks. So there's no no red flags there on the valuation of the fundamental side. And I think the chart is turning. As I said, I really tipped it as a buy. I've tipped it as a buy a few times in the last couple of weeks in my uh, Twitter shortlist. I've done it on Ausbiz, and I'm happy to go buy it today based okay. upon the chart, the candles. Uh, a super specky buy. Ahead Super of the announcement. Earning right. season. Earning season. Okay. Yep. All right. Let's recap. The uh, the first five stocks. Stock of the day was Endeavor Silk from both Michael and Carl. Uh, Charter Hall Retail, uh, REIT, uh, Silk from both. Same with um, Homeco uh, Daily Needs, REIT, although Michael likes the parent fund manager of uh, of those funds called Home Consortium. Uh, in New Zealand, a sell from Michael, a hold from Carl, a Deterra, a no from both. Um, if you're after income, there are better alternatives out there, even term deposits, uh, probably more attractive. An ARB, a hold from Michael, and a super specky earnings buy from, uh, from Carl. I'll have to put that in the lingo, I think, for everyone. Um, here on the call, we've been following our own fantasy portfolio as picked by the investment committee, the last committee meeting up on the platform now. Uh, in that August meeting, index was replaced by AUB and the committee spent from cash 1% extra on Seek, Altium and ProMedicus fund up seven and a quarter percent. This half hour, uh, or on a programming note before we get into the next bunch of stocks, our next virtual investor event is tomorrow and it's presented by some familiar faces here on Ausbitz, Howard Coleman and Mark Morland from Team Invest. If you've seen them on the call, you'll know they have really stringent criteria for picking investments tomorrow. They're going to show how and why they look for wealth winning stocks. You can register for free at osbiz.co slash teaminvest. It kicks off at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, this half hour, we're going to take a look at CSR, Region Group, Genesis Energy, Stanmore Resources and Ventia Services. Uh, first off the block this half hour, Michael, uh, CSR. Uh, Graham wants a view on that. Uh, of course, building materials, Giprock plasterboard, Monia tiles, PGH bricks, Bradford insulation. Um, so a conglomerate of sorts. It's got the building products part of its business. It's got the property development part, um, and then it's got an aluminium business as well. Um, oh, interesting, Tomago, isn't it? The yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So. Aluminium has been was really a tailwind for them. Um, however, it's sort of reversed in more recent times. Um, they also have basically sold down a couple of assets on their property side, realizing some decent profits. Um, but surprisingly, or somewhat surprisingly, the housing market, especially detached housing, has been strong in terms of the amount of building that's been going on. And they've been benefiting off the back of that. You know, revenues up 13%. 
um, net profit up 17%. So that's been supporting the share price. The balance sheet's in pretty good shape as well. It's pretty under leverage, which gives them some flexibility to take on a few acquisitions, um, which they have done recently. They've done a small acquisition, which should be sort of EPS accretive for them. Um, however, it's all about the outlook as always, and it's about having confidence in the building industry and the housing market going forward. And it's yeah, it's still to be determined whether the interest rate rises that we've seen are going to hit with a lagged impact. And if that does play out, you can expect the building market and the housing market to slow somewhat, at least in the construction space, which would have a negative impact on CSR. So from my standpoint, I'm not overly confident in the long-term outlook. It's a business has been around for a long time, mm. done a decent job of it, pays a good yield, decent balance sheet. But again, I probably think there are better alternatives okay. in businesses that are heading or that are in sectors heading into a bit more clear skies than something like CSR, where I think the outlook's still a little bit clouded. So I'd take your profits? I would take right my up. profits and okay. sell. Um, Carl, a really good, uh, really good chart there, isn't it? Yeah, look, I like the chart. Interestingly, uh, Boral is the other one that's been coming up on my uh, list quite a lot. Yeah. And I've sort of shortlisted this and Boral around the same time. So Boral around about four, just checking my notes here, and this was about 5.30. So this has gone up to 5.80. And Boral's gone through the roof, so that might tell you, you know, in terms of uh, the one you want to own. And I always say go with the strength. Uh, but I do like the chart; it's 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 quite decent. Um, I don't I don't mind the company. I'm not saying I'm you know ravingly love it. I don't know if that's the right phrase, but it's very solid. And they've done really well uh, through this whole inflationary pulse. They've managed to really really keep a tight lid on their costs in an industry where you could expect cost blowouts. Mm. And I think the market's starting to reward them for that. And um, they've been able to increase their prices, underlying business going pretty well in terms of uh, de continuing demand, as Michael says, for these uh, building products. A big exposure to your detached housing. So about 48% uh, is detached housing, and then the other 52% varying from um, you know, high-density residential construction to industrial, some exposure there. But I think, you know, we still have, let's face it, there's still a housing shortage in Australia. You hear about it every day in the yep. six o'clock news. Uh, and that side of the business, I think, should go very well against a softening detached market. So look, fairly neutral. The brokers are quite bullish on this, to be fair, in terms of their growth outlook. So we're looking at 13% compound annual growth rate over the next three years uh, for a PE of 15. So that that's quite attractive to, to me. Uh, my valuation is, is is over seven bucks. So I can certainly go hold it if you've got it. Let's summarise here. Hold it if you've got it. If you don't have it, maybe just leaning towards Boral in terms of technical analysis strength. But yeah, let's go happy holder here. Okay. All right. Um, next one, uh, Johnny wants a view, Carl, on Region Group. Uh, mm. Back to a uh, property REIT as well, but this is uh, smaller shopping centres. Um, yeah. Well, they got neighbourhood uh, shopping centres strips about 75% of the portfolio, sub-regional shopping centres 25%, so not your big capital city Westfields or whatever. Yes, but it's still exposed to your, mm. your big retailers, Woolworths and Coles, are their two biggest clients. Yeah. Uh, not as good in terms of the uh, occupancy rates compared to, say, Home Code Daily and Charter Hall Retail. Uh, their leasing uh, spread, so that is what they're getting on the new leases compared to their old leases, much lower than the first two, probably rep representing maybe some of the struggles in those uh, sub-regional areas. It, I just don't see 
the quality here and uh, compared to maybe the two we discussed. Having said that, I've already spoken too much about it, Koshi, because look at the chart. I can't buy this. It's a sell for me. And the slogan on uh, Carl's T-shirts that he will be selling (laughs) here on Ausbiz, rates kill rates. Rates kill rates. Yeah, yeah. Good T-shirt slogan. Uh, Michael, uh, have rates killed this for you? Yes, pretty much. It's the old Shopping <laughs> Centres Australia, um, changed its name uh, a couple of years ago or something right. like that. Again, a slightly different type of REIT where it's very much your suburban shopping yep. centre where you'll have your Coles as your anchor tenant or your Woolworths, and then they'll have a lot of specialty retailers. Um, and it's really, they make their money off the specialty retailers because the Coles and Woolworths are there are taking up a lot of floor space, very low rents per square metre. Um, often the rents with Woolworths and Coles, you really start to get your cream on the top once they meet certain revenue thresholds. But then the specialty retailers like a cafe or your hairdresser or real estate agent, something like that, that will be in that anchor, will be in that complex. They're the ones you're really getting the highest rental growth from, often linked to inflation on the most yep. favourable terms. Um, so that's where the margin is um, on something <clears throat> like this. But again. Uh, Shopping Centres Australia, or, or I forget the, the new name, basically is trading on about 6.5% distribution. So that's only now got to that level, and right. that's corrected to where it probably should be relative to the cash rate. Uh, the rent metrics look very, very good. However, there's inflationary pressures and rising servicing costs on their debts, and that's eroding earnings to a degree. So. It's looking a little bit better value, and I think you know, that distribution yield is more appealing given that it's risen so far. But again, I don't see the rush to jump in because I still think that mm. thematic has a little bit longer to play out. Um, and yeah, now these companies are just starting to feel the pinch of their debt maturities rolling off and having to refinance yep. at higher rates. Okay. All right, let's go back to resources now. And Charles wants to view Michael on Genesis, uh, the gold um, group. Uh, flagship Leonora Gold Project in WA. Is this the Genesis Energy? Or oh, Genesis, Genesis Energy. Sorry, sorry, just yeah, yeah, wrong one. Genesis yeah. Energy. Yes, yeah, so this is a electricity, electricity diversified yeah. electricity group out of yeah. New Zealand. Um, it's not a business that I'm overly familiar with. I must admit, um, they've got a, a you know a large number of customers in New Zealand. I'm not sure what caused that big drop in the share price only a, a week or so ago. Um, but they did navigate the COVID period pretty well um, when coal prices were going through the roof at the beginning of last year. They also navigated that pretty well. They've got fixed price gas supply contracts and they basically purchased the coal well in advance and that's meant to smooth things out a lot for them. Um, but again, it's not a company I'm, I'm overly familiar with, so it's very difficult it's for like me to give AGL anything of value. In, um, yeah, uh, in New Zealand as well. And they're quite complex businesses and the transition away from coal-fired to gas and how that's all going to play yeah. out. It's not something I'm across in this instant, I must say. Okay. Uh, Carl, uh, certainly a different chart to AGLs. Yeah, it's wow. I mean, AGL has done so well. But yes. uh, AGL, I think you want to just, you want to, well, I did say it on Friday as well, you want to be backing out of AGL. Yeah. And I think that's been the right call. Uh, so take, definitely taking profits on that one. Um, this one here, GNE, um, I would be going for the other one you mentioned, Koshi, G. Uh, what's the other one? Genesis, GMD, I think right. it is. Yeah, yeah. Mining, <laughs> that, yeah. Mining and that development. Chart, that chart looks. I just typed it in as you said. That chart looks really good. Right. Uh, so I would, I would buy. I would sell my GNE because the chart of GNE looks 
I ought to. And I would uh, buy GMT uh, as a replacement. Uh, and I'm quite serious about that because yeah. that's how I operate. I honestly don't care what these companies do. I'll, I'll right. tell you a secret. Um, I just care about what the chart does. Right. Uh, but yeah, look, I can't I can't buy this because the other thing about higher rates, Koshi, and I know AGL is an exception to this rule, is not only do rates kill high rates kill rates, high rates kill utilities as well. Because right. the whole basis of utility stock is you've got a pile of debt typically, um, and you know high capital investments yep. uh, and high rates are going to hurt you. And then you've got the comparable uh, uh, yield as well. So your risk-free yep. rate versus your, your utility dividend yield um, hurts them as well. Why, so, why, why would AGL, you know, you say that, AGL shot the lights out. Their biggest shareholder is calling them uh, environment killers. Um, <laughs> everything yep. is against them, but it's still gone up. Uh, they were just able to put their prices up, uh, and that yeah. was it. So it's just that elasticity there, yeah. and it hit, it's a sugar hit to the bottom line, and the market was just too bearish on them for all of those reasons. And let me just add in in brackets, I don't care. And it was I was all yeah. over this one. We bought the hell out of it, and uh, now we're getting out. Okay. All right. Our uh, next stock is a coal miner. Uh, uh, Henry wants a view, Carl, on Stanmore Resources, the big... Uh, uh, coal miner in the Barn Basin and Surat Basins in uh, central and southern Queensland, hit with a higher mining tax from the Queensland mm. government that has solved all its budget deficit issues. <laughs> yeah, but you see, coal prices, and it's not like coal prices are booming anymore. I mean, this, these guys are met coal, uh, about 90% met coal, which is your, your coal met, met for metallurgical, of course. Yeah, which goes into steel ma- making, isn't it? Ex- Exactly, yeah. And then a 10% thermal coal, that's for your, your power stations. So very different from, say, your New Hope. Uh, but doing very well operationally, uh, hitting some records in the last quarter. Um, just, the, just the price of Met Coal is, is subdued. It's not awful, but it is not shooting the lights out. And it will be largely dependent on what happens in China. I mentioned that before because, um, you know, we know iron ore prices are, are weaker and weakening. Uh, we know that unless that something good happens very quickly in the property sector, you know, the outlook for that sector and therefore the knock-on effects back to uh, steel production and therefore iron ore and, and coke and coal requirements are going to be uh, subdued. But I think the chart looks okay. Uh, I think you can hold it, but I don't. You know, I wouldn't be running a full risk position on this. I'd say have, you know, whatever I not ordinarily invest in a company, I might have, say, a third invested, and I could add to it. See, again, I'm happy just to go with the market. So let's say it closes above, say, 295, I could add some risk to that. I'd put another third of my position in there. But, and this is how the line is sometimes, I think if it closes below, say, uh, 270, it's not heading the right way anymore. It's just kind of at a bit of a tipping point. So uh, below 270, I'd be exiting the, the reduced risk position I'd have on this. But okay. until then, hold. All right. Michael? Yeah, so very large metallurgical coal producer, over 13 million tonnes, I think the third largest in Australia. Um, as has been touched upon, very different to thermal coal, very different complexities to the drivers of the the Met coal price. Um, Obviously the Chinese steel industry and and what's happening with their housing market plays a big role in a company like this and the performance of the underlying commodity. Um, They've recently completed a couple of different acquisitions. Um, BHP Minerals, 80% interest in a different coal mine. Um, So like it's, it's hard to get overly excited on this without having a view of what the Met coal price is going to do. And it's very difficult, I think, at the moment, given what is going on 
in China. Um, also, if, as you touched upon that royalties announcements, I think it's already almost a year or so old, um, and that was more of a one-off impact, but that is an ongoing sort of hindrance mm-hmm. to them. Um, so for mine, I'm just gonna go a hold on it because I don't really have a view on the coal price, the Met coal price. Yep. And I'm a little bit concerned on the, the steel markets in, in yeah. China. So if you did start to see further weakness in the housing market in China, further weakness in the steel prices, it'd be something I'd look to get rid of. Yeah, because the, the stimulus from China isn't your yeah. traditional China stimulus, is it? It's not, let's build more houses, more apartment blocks and more infrastructure. Oh, they've, yeah. they've overdone that, haven't they? They've done too much. So this stimulus is more a services stimulus to you know, save property developers rather than get them to buy more. And small businesses yeah. and things like that as well. They cut interest rates the other night, too, yeah. which is interesting. Well, the few countries They've been the doing a do few it. little things here and there, and they haven't had the massive stimulus announcement just yet, but they've no. definitely been tinkering. Um, also, yeah, the lending ratios that are required from banks have continually been cut. So, look, it wouldn't surprise me if at some point you do get this mass right. stimulus program, but I don't think it's going to be, as you say, these big infrastructure or housing projects which have got mm. them through in the past. Okay, speaking of infrastructure, Michael Albert wants a view on Ventia Services, uh, infrastructure maintenance service provider. They, they do maintenance for the resource industry, but also they do demandable housing and all that sort of stuff yeah. for workers. We've got 35,000 employees, so it's a big business. Gee, that's a lot of doing, people. Yes, I mean, it's Australia and New Zealand. It's up there so. with like Macquarie Bank and places that are probably yeah. a lot more even. But um, yes, yeah, a, lot, a lot of people to manage. I, I doubt it would be, they would be paid as much as Macquarie Bank stuff. Potentially, but, yeah. no, I don't think yeah. so. But they're doing a lot of maintenance contracts um, across many different industries, many different sectors. Uh, for instance, they've got the Sydney Harbour Tunnel that many people would be familiar with. Yeah. Uh, they recently signed a new contract with the Defence Force as well, which is a, a pretty big kicker for them. Uh, they also, I think, renewed a, a contract they have with Transurban. So they've got very large c- contracts with large corporations and government organisations, which is great when you're winning more and more contracts and you're maintaining and servicing those contracts. From what I could read and, and understand, a lot of those contracts have decent levels of protection um, in them, in that if costs start to blow out, they're able just to easily pass right. those on. Um, so, look, their, their growth numbers seem to be pretty appealing. They're growing, you know, revenues around 15%, you know, net profits around 20%, and the expectations are they're going to be able to maintain those margins. But that will be the key thing to keep an eye on um, is whether or not they're able to integrate these new contracts well, um, maintain the margins on them, and, and keep winning new business. But they do seem to be pretty long term. So six to 10 year type contracts. Mm, okay. um, and once they're embedded within those businesses or, or those organizations, they tend to get rolled over as well in time. But you've got to be careful always with the accounting of contracts because a lot of contract accounting will realize their income straight away, but the cash flow might not hit for years afterwards. So that's another thing to make sure you're sort of focusing in on when you're looking at these businesses, when there's a lot of contracts involved, because sometimes it can distort the view of the company okay. a little bit. All right. So what we I'm going to go a hold on this. Okay. It's not a business I was too <clears throat> familiar with either, but um, it does seem to be quite interesting. Yeah. Carl? Yeah, look, I agree with 
everything Michael said. Don't have a lot to add. I think it's quite a defensive business. Um, the, the chart looks quite reasonable. Long-term uptrend. The short-term uh, trend is under a bit of pressure. I'm a bit concerned about um, there's a big candle there. Maybe I didn't see any announcement on that day, but 21st of July, viewers might want to go reference that candle. That's the one that really concerns me. I call them trend killers. When you see those, it means for me, as soon as I see that, I have to start getting out some. So I'll take a third off the table by default, and then I'm super attentive for further confirming signs that supplies building. Um, I think you could easily take another third off, and therefore the most you'd be holding this in terms of a, a risk position is about a third of your intended holding. But I can hold on to that, and if it closed, say, below, oh, I'm going to go 265, that's where that last um, third would come out. But it's so... so I don't know, you call it a partial hold at right, this right. stage. The, the valuation's not that great either. Right. So, but if you, if you haven't sold down, you would be mm. saying get get out because uh, you've had a good run in it. Share price has been good. Um, take two thirds off the table, Keep hold the other third, and, and if it gets below 265, get out there. Let me give you a number. So below, so if it closes at two eighty or lower, that's when you could uh, enact that two thirds, right. because you haven't you haven't done it yet. Right. You've got that done. It's only a, it's only, it's not that far away, and yeah. then the final third could still go below two sixty five. Because she's just about having a plan. It's just having a plan for how you're going to get in and how you're going to get out. So you're never confused by what the market's yeah. doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, let's recheck the uh, the final uh, five stocks before we go. CSR. Uh, Michael would take some profits on it. Uh, Carl has a hold on CSR but prefers Boral um, in that sector. Uh, Region Group are sell from both. Uh, Genesis um, Energy, uh, a no from Michael, a sell from Carl. He would switch out of Genesis Energy into uh, <laughs> Genesis Mining, a resource stock, uh, which has much better potential. Uh, Stan Moore, a hold from both. Uh, Carl would add to it. If it got above 295, he would sell it. If it got below 270, and with Ventia Services, a hold from Michael. And Carl is saying if it gets down to 280, sell two thirds until the other third if it gets below 265. Um, just before we go, Carl, quick snapshot of reporting season. Has it lived up to your expectation or not? I think it's exceeding my expectations, actually, okay. because, again, we've been in quite a few of those sort of retail stocks, so doing well on a few of those. Um, we got tagged on Resmead big time, Koshi. You got clipped on that one, but otherwise not too bad. Yeah, Michael, what's your sentiment? It's still too early to call, given this sort of ramps up a lot in the next few days. Um, yeah, we got done on ResMed. I'll, I'll acknowledge that one as well. We had a much better day yesterday. Car sales, CSL had a bit of a bounce back. Uh, Prominicus did quite well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed they can kick on. But yeah, still for us, there's most of our companies to report in the next couple of weeks. Right, yeah, it's going to be busy, isn't it? And uh, you'll hear it and see it all here first on Ausbiz. That's it for the call for today. If uh, you'd like... Um, us to cover any stocks that um, you have in your portfolio and I can put them to our expert panel. Uh, go to osbiz.co forward slash call picks or use Twitter uh, and the at Osbiz TV handle. That's it from us for today. More of the call coming up same time tomorrow.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.